0: Public CEO Report is a podcast that provides insights about the public sector and public policy for the benefit of decision makers and leaders powering our communities. I'm your host, Ryder Todd Smith, and today we're joined by Lindsay P. Horvath, Mayor of the City of West Hollywood and 2020 21 President of the California Contract Cities Association. I should also add, you are a candidate for LA County Third Supervisorial District seat. Lindsay, welcome to the Public CEO Report.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, so um, let's start with the basics, right? You clearly have public service running through your veins, having uh, risen up through the ranks of council and and West Hollywood, and now choosing to run for uh, a county seat, which is in the largest county in the nation. Why did you run for office in the first place?
1: You know, uh, For me, it's uh, about social justice. I was raised as a social justice Catholic, um, and I like to think I got the best parts of the church. And uh, giving back and being of service is uh, what we're called to do, I believe, uh, to help one another, and especially when we're in times of need to be there in community. And so um, when I uh, moved to California, I tried to find ways to get involved in my community, uh, to become invested and and know more about uh, the neighborhood in which I was living. And um, you know, I met really incredible people. And uh, when i when I talk to people who are transplants to uh, the Los Angeles area, we always kind of have, uh, that in common, that once you find your people uh, in this community, it just makes uh, Los Angeles such a beautiful, amazing place to be a part of. And um, and so for me, it's really about the people.
0: Where did you, uh, just for our background, where did you move from when you when you uh, transplanted into L.A.?
1: Sure. I'm originally from uh, the Midwest, from the east side of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, My family moved to Las Vegas when I was in high school. So I lived there uh, for a little while, went back to the Midwest for college. I attended the University of Notre Dame. And uh, after graduating, I came out to California.
0: All right. Uh, and, uh, just for further context and rounding you out when you are being the council member in West Hollywood is not a full-time job. As far as I recall, is that correct statement?
1: It's not considered a full-time job, but it certainly can be with, uh, (laughs) things we're expected to do.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I I don't suspect it pays like a full-time job though. So you must somehow sustain yourself. What else do you do professionally outside of the world of politics?
1: Um, you know, I'm really lucky to work with an amazing creative team. I work uh, in creative advertising for uh, movies, television, and uh, streaming services. And um, so it's uh, something that I didn't expect to be doing when I moved out here, but uh, through mutual friends, I was connected to a creative director and and got into the industry and made a lot of friends and contacts and Um, You know, I'm just really lucky to be able to be in such a fun industry.
0: (laughs) Well, I suppose it only seemed apropos, given that you're the mayor of West Hollywood, that you would be involved in Hollywood itself. So
1: I guess there is that connection, Um, you know, though I, I often say that, you know, I work with folks who are not always the most, um, understanding in terms of timing and, and patience and all of those things. Um, my job is to keep things on time and on budget, uh, to make sure people are happy and getting what they need. So there are a lot of skills in there that, that translated to, uh, being of service to a community that's very engaged, um, and, you know, really wants to make sure that West Hollywood is the best community. So they reach out and engage a lot. And, um, I think my, my, work in creative advertising. Um, surprisingly, Ashley gave me very good training for that.
0: Excellent. Um, so what do you love about West Hollywood, right? I mean, you, you obviously are a resident there. You've been there for a while now, I would surmise. Uh, what is it about West Hollywood that's special?
1: I mean, what's not to love? It is um, 1.9 square miles of the most fun you'll ever have in your life. And we are lucky to have the iconic Sunset Strip we have Santa Monica Boulevard. We have the Melrose and Beverly Design District. Uh, We have our Rainbow District. Uh, I mean, there's so much happening. People come to West Hollywood from all over the world uh, to share in our history, to share in our culture, uh, to make amazing memories. And we love being that place for people. Um, But we're also a very small town. We are only 1.9 square miles. Uh, We're about 36,000 people, though. So it's a lot of people in a small Space, um, which means we we get to know each other pretty quickly. Um, a lot of us are renters, about uh, close to eighty percent, and so a lot of us live in multifamily housing. So learning how to live with each other in close quarters um, is is an art, <laughs> I think, and um, but it also makes for a great opportunity to build community. And and I think um, there's just so much to love about what happens here every day.
0: Yeah, I've often observed that uh, the tighter your quarters are, the more kind of governance that you need to intervene to kind of facilitate the interaction of people in those environments, right? Um, so I think that's partly why you tend to see more government engagement and involvement in higher-density uh, communities and cities and things like that. It's just kind of necessitated by being on top of each other, literally living on top of one another, uh, that mm-hmm. comes with high-density high density, high density mm-hmm. housing. What do you What Though do you think is... Go ahead. That
1: there are some people who um, you know, don't really engage with their neighbors. You know, in fact, some people will, you know, call city hall, you know, saying my neighbor leaves their trash can out. Okay. Well, did you talk to your neighbor? Um, did you give them a call? And, and so, um, it's funny how living in close quarters, there are still some people who don't really engage. So I really try to encourage people to talk to each other. And I've kind of tried to be that person in my, in my own buildings when i lived in the city.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, so we'll add peacemaker to your roster of, uh, <laughs> Roles and successes. <laughs>
1: Very good. Uh,
0: what? Uh, so, what? What do you think is working well in local government? And I ask that question partly because uh, you know you chose when you when you wanted to be of service, you chose the government as the role to do that, as opposed to say working through a church or some nonprofit group or something like that. So, why? Why government? What's working well in local government, in California?
1: Well, I think everyone um, has the opportunity to be touched by government in their lives. And uh, local government is really where we meet People most frequently every day, and people can see how they're being served or not being served um, and and engage very easily. I mean, um, I I think we don't often think about, um, you know, if you're just an average person, you know, not somebody who's engaged in local government work or, or government work in general, but, you know, people walking down sidewalks, driving down roads, you know, seeing traffic lights, you know those are all things that we provide through government and people need. And, you know, a lot of, uh, hopefully if we're doing it right, there are things that people can take for granted. They're not interfering with their life. They're helping enhance their quality of life. They're helping them get to jobs. They're helping them get to the places they want to go to have fun. They're, um, the resources that we provide in the community uh, hopefully are helping them take care of their families, their children, older adults. Um, you know, there's so much that government can provide Uh, to improve quality of life and uh, unlike some of the organizations that you mentioned, uh, it touches everyone in a community. So you have the opportunity to truly make a difference for the greatest amount of people and do the greatest amount of good um, if you're serving right. And so I'm uh, I'm very grateful to be serving at the local level, uh, to be able to deliver services and support to people who really need it, to be in a community who gets that and invests in that. We're a city that has spent at least 10% of our budget in most years on social services, whereas most cities rely on the county or other uh, sources to provide that support. We fund it as a city. Um, We've been a progressive city where we've, uh, you know, most people don't always align progressive values with fiscal responsibility, but that's what we do in West Hollywood. And, you know, we had a reserve that during this time of economic hardship and just a lot of challenges that we faced during COVID-19, we were able to continue to care for people and, um, and provide them services and support that they needed. And so, you know, it feels really good to be able to do that and to be that support for people. Certainly there are things we don't get right, and, uh, and that's tough. But, um, but I think, um, you know, we're better when more and different voices are engaged in the public uh, conversation. And so that's what we strive to do.
0: Uh, so I guess l- let me talk about one area in there, too, about in terms of like what's working well. West Hollywood, uh, from my perspective, working in the local government space, has a reputation for being particularly well-funded, having really solid revenue sources. I would assume that some combination of strong TOT revenues from hotel stays, uh, high income, it's a high income community in general. I think it's relatively high income compared to a lot of the LA area, uh, combined with the fact that you have a very good restaurant scene and the Sunset Strip. So you have a lot of sales tax generating businesses in the area that attract outside money into the area. So first of all, is that an accurate description that it's a relatively well-funded city compared to others uh, that, that give you that capacity to do more, so to speak?
1: We are lucky to have a lot of, uh, sources of revenue. You're right. TOT is our number one source of revenue. So we always encourage people to come visit West Hollywood. We do have people though. Um, people might not always think of that, uh First, when you think of West Hollywood, we do have people who are struggling financially. Um, there are people that um, are, we're trying to help lift out of poverty, um, and that's why we've adopted progressive policies like our rent stabilization ordinance, inclusionary housing policies, and, again, you know, funding for social services to help support and provide that safety net for people living in the city who are struggling.
0: Yeah. Uh, how about... So you... Um... I guess I'll, one other question, then. I'll just throw uh, throw another one in there, too. Okay. So we, the question here is generally focused around what's working well. Is there any other particular kind of West Hollywood program? You just went through a good laundry list of, uh, of some progressive policies and whatnot. But um, any other particular program that you think is just totally awesome, that you're, you're really proud of in West Hollywood, maybe something you've championed that uh, you think is really interesting or something that um, is such a good policy that you think other, sh- other cities should consider adopting it, even if they aren't... Uh, perhaps as progressive as West Hollywood or having the same um, kind of density and infrastructure as West Hollywood? Sure.
1: I mean, there are so many to name. I think one... That comes to mind that actually after um, I initiated it in the city, then Attorney General Kamala Harris um, implemented in her office uh, was a transition guidelines uh, for the workplace. And it helps um, a workplace accommodate someone who may be uh, gender transitioning uh, during their time of employment. And I raise that um, to your question. I understand that every city has uh, the political views that are often expressed in our community. Um, or takes the, takes the position that we do. But I, I think it's important to mention for that reason, you know, we're the kind of city that would pioneer something like that. But we created a policy that then our Chamber of Commerce adopted and uh, is now a policy that got adopted in the state of California, and I think will become increasingly the trend to just help workplace environments uh, accommodate everyone uh, who... Brings their talents uh, to benefit that business uh, to work in a a safe and and, uh, accommodating work environment. But we also, you know, and of course, we're known for our LGBTQ community. We have over forty percent of our city identifying as LGBTQ, so um, you know, it's it makes sense that we would pioneer in policies like that. But you know, we're forging ahead in our relationship with Metro, trying to bring uh, working to bring Crenshaw Northern Extension of Metro Rail to the city. Um, uh, which will not only serve our city, but the entire region, providing jobs, um, access to uh, you know, arts and culture destinations, connecting our area to the airport, to the Hollywood Bowl. I mean, it's um, it, so it's a really exciting, huge project that our city has undertaken, and you know, grateful to have the partnership with Metro that we do uh, in bringing that forward. Um, but there are policies of all kinds. You know, uh, In the face of COVID-19, we worked with our business community to create out zones and get businesses back up and running, um, which is important not only uh, to have those businesses um, have a way to operate, but also um, to have people... you know, be able to continue working in their jobs, have a source of income, and um, so we we worked very collaboratively with the business community, and I thought um, that was particularly important. And you know, shout out, of course, to our to our amazing staff uh, at City Hall who made that happen. You know, I think all of us transitioned in what felt like a blink of an eye to mm-hmm. working. Um, instead of being all together at City Hall and so finding ways to deliver those services I think is uh, has been absolutely extraordinary and uh, for all the cities that have had to do that you know kudos to you for the ways that you've stepped up and tried to deliver in this really difficult time
0: Uh, and just to clarify you use the term out zone is that a outdoor dining arrangement that you guys did or what what is an out zone I don't want to presume
1: yeah, so um, it was outdoor dining, but um, other businesses also used it, whether uh, it was um, uh, waiving encroachment permit fees and, you know, allowing people to operate on the sidewalks, getting people out into, you know, uh, open air areas, uh, of course, because of the public health order, but just be a- being able to expand their operations so it was safer for people to, you know, participate in retail, um, you know, whatever the businesses were. We worked with um, some of our creative arts businesses to find ways that they could you know like at the whiskey still have um, live performances that they could stream and have their audiences meet them online um, get some of that you know music vibe that uh, everybody loves to come to West Hollywood for um, right in your own home you know certainly everyone wants to go back to the whiskey myself included but um, <laughs> in the interim, we had to find a safe way for people to be able to have that experience and so you know I'm just grateful that we have so many community partners that want to work with us um, to, you know, help us find creative solutions to come to the table and, and work collaboratively.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. So we talked about took took some time there to talk about things that are working well in local government and why you're enthusiastic about it and clearly yeah. enthusiastic enough that you want to elevate the board of supervisors to continue doing that work on a broader scale. Um yeah. but, hey, you know, uh, sometimes <laughs> things don't work well in local government too. So what's what's broken in local government in California from your perspective?
1: Well, I think um, there's a disconnect between how people uh, first think to interact with each other uh, to solve problems in a 21st century world, and our government systems have not quite caught up to that. Um, I think, you know, having in-person meetings be the only way that people can access their government, especially if they're held during the week, during the daytime, you know, it's just not, it just doesn't make sense for how um, most people will be able to access their government. Um, You know, having to take time off work is just not an option for many people. And often those are the people who need the help the most. So, you know, finding ways that we can meet people where they are directly engage, use technology to get people um, more active um, and participating in our democracy. I think, um, we just haven't gotten there yet. And, you know, um, even the ways that meetings are structured, it doesn't make sense often. You know, you have to train people to understand if you're going to come and speak in public comment for two minutes on something that isn't on the agenda, the council's not going to respond to you, even if you think it's the most urgent, pressing need in the community right in that moment. And so, you know, just how we do government is rooted in a bygone era. And, you know, I'm grateful that we have the democracy that we do, but uh, it only is a good one if we're able to actually empower people to engage with it uh, and to use it to their benefit. And so, um, you know, I think we have some work to do in that
0: regard. Our, our, my my firm uh, Trupeppi Smith does work all over California working for cities, um, mm-hmm. helping them with their communications. But one of the kind of revelations I've had in my head as I've thought about this over the last couple of years, is that um, I think a failure to properly teach civics and basic high school education has created a pretty extended generation, if not multi-generation reality of folks who just don't understand government uh, or or understand the basics of how it works. And so often as I feel like the job we're doing at the firm to help cities communicate is really a civics 101 that that people should have gotten when they were 16, 17 years old in high school and didn't. Um, You know, and I don't wanna, I'm not saying that because I think people are just dumb. Uh, it's just that they haven't had an opportunity to get into the nuance of it. And to be blunt, uh, you know, I think you and I bo- would both appreciate that it's not exactly like government simple. I mean, you take a place like LA County, you got multiple layers of government, special districts overlaying those. You know, you got a vector control district over here, and then you got a municipal water district over here, and you got a wholesale water district on top of that. Then you got, you know, it, the list goes on and on. So it's um it's a complex environment, but more than ever, it seems to me that we are at the same time facing a Uh, A reality that a big chunk of our population just hasn't had the need or the opportunity to kind of learn about some of those basics of how the government is structured to know these are the three branches of government, and this is the feds and the state and the role of the county and the role of the city, and on, on the list goes.
1: Yeah. I, when I first got into uh, onto the city council, I was in my mid-20s and, um, you know, I was uh, serving at the time in National Women's Political Caucus leadership. And I, rem- I very vividly remember um, after I got onto the council, someone in our caucus, uh, she was probably in her mid-50s at the time, reached out to me and said, you know, I've thought about running for office, but could you tell me what a city council member does? And um, I just, you know, based on the education that I was afforded in my life and, you know, how I engaged with cities, you know, growing up uh, when I was, when I lived in Las Vegas, our family um, helped elect Oscar Goodman uh, in Las, uh, as Las Vegas mayor, and then his wife um, uh, after him, and actually she was my high school guidance counselor in Las Vegas. So, you know, I was very close to local government sort of at every stage of my life. And so to find myself in this position, being involved in politics, um, having sort of of that um, that you know experience and, and having that question was unexpected to me. And so right. I- place trying to explain how local government works for folks, and um, and so it was really interesting to, to be in that space, so I agree, you know, there are a lot of people um, who don't quite know how things uh, have worked, but I will say there has been a recent trend, especially of millennials and younger, really getting to understand what local government does and figuring out how to harness their power at the local level, and um, it's really interesting to see how that's changing, who's leading the decision. Who's participating in conversations, and which direction those conversations will go as, as as a result of who's participating that in them? For so long, campaigns really targeted an older demographic because they were the most reliable voters. Um, but now, you know, things are are changing. I think digital uh, engagement is is really uh, playing a big role in that shift.
0: Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. I would also just say like things like the pandemic. Um... As I like to point out, the pandemic has introduced more people to more government than they ever thought was really possible. Right? The mere act of asking people to quarantine at home for 14 days, for example, or things along those lines, are just kind of. If you two years ago, if you talked about that, people would have said you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one of the consequences of engaging your public with uh, the hand of government, right or wrong, that's, uh, we could one could argue about that on a separate podcast. Uh, but regardless, is you get a public who gets who experiences government. Uh, In a big way, and now all of a sudden, the reaction to that is, "Well, that's going to impact my life. I better engage in this bad boy, right?" So, I think there's a a natural human response to say, "Okay, this is clearly becoming a bigger part of my life, having an impact on my life. I'm going to counter and become more engaged in it to better understand what it is that's affecting me on a day-to-day basis." Probably because it's become more relevant than ever.
1: Absolutely, and uh, you know, people are know now what. Uh, the public health department could be responsible for in a time of crisis. And then they, you know, started to learn how they engage with their favorite local restaurants. Um, So, uh, you know, there are just so many ways that people were introduced to services, support that are uh, offered on a daily basis, and then how government can step up or uh, they developed ideas, how government ought to be stepping up uh, when people really need help the most. And so I, I suspect that, um, the experience that we've had and the year and change, um, isn't just going to be limited to, you know, what, what we see now isn't just going to be limited to, uh, getting businesses back up and running or, you know, getting people back to work. I think it's really going to, you know, become a conversation of how do we, um, how do we continue, um, fixing what has been broken even before COVID-19 and um, and making sure that we have the best systems in place to support folks. I think, you know, seeing how people struggled with EDD uh, during this time, for example, it's existed for a very long time. And for a very long time, there were people that were not well served by it. Um, but, um, you know, it took a pandemic to, you know, make people realize just how much needs to be invested into that program to uh, get it to work functionally. And so, um, you know, I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes on the outside to what they want to see change in their government. And I think a lot it's opened a lot of people's eyes on the inside as to, you know, the things that we just kind of took for granted that need to be shaken up and done better
0: Yeah. Yeah, the EDD one is kind of an interesting case, first of all, because there's been so much money spent already trying to fix the EDD yeah. long before the pandemic. Uh, so it's understandable that from some perspectives, the answer is not throw more money at it because there's been no building of confidence that it's worked in the first place. And then on top of that, I mean, we're talking about several tens of billion dollar scandal that's now happened with false claims around the EDD and other money that just kind of disappeared that turns into a real boondog. I mean, that's that's a tough nut, you know, to kind of address or think about when you think about the complexities of that particular situation. From my, from my perspective, it just seems like it's both an, uh, it, both an indicator, perhaps a bright red line indicator saying, hey, there's a real problem here. We've got to fix this thing and make it work right. And on the other hand, it's also a bright line indicator saying, hey, we've been trying to fix this thing for a long time and something is fundamentally broken in Sacramento that makes us unable to fix our, our EDD. Um, and I'm not sure which one is going to ultimately weigh out in the, in the interpretation of that. Although but fundamentally, I, maybe the answer is doesn't matter. It's got to get fixed if you want the thing to work properly.
1: Right, and so you have to elect people who are actually interested in that job um, to do it well. You know, while they're there, and I think you know, there's a lot of folks I've seen now who run for offices that it's not really the work they want to be doing, but you know, they were an elected off- official somewhere else, and now it's their turn to do this and you know so I, I think people are really checking into you know how people are going to step up in the role that they're that they're seeking to serve um and and what it is they're looking to do you know you can pass a lot of bills that uh, either sound nice or do something nice for people. But if you're not really looking at those uh, fundamentals um, to make sure that you're able to deliver services and support to people, um, especially when they need it most, and then you're relying on those systems to deliver to people and you know that they're not working, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense. And you know, that's why people just get really frustrated with government, um, uh, you know, uh, over things that you expect to work. You just expect that um, if you call, you know, 911, that somebody's going to answer and respond. And so if, if, you know, that's not happening, people are going to be disappointed no matter what the excuse or reason is. So, yeah, Yeah.
0: well, and when you start to, I mean, this is, this will, this will, you know, could snowball into a much broader conversation, too, about kind of faith in institutions in America. But across the political uh, spectrum, there's gr- growing lack of faith, right? So there's a, a, we're losing faith in many of the institutions that have kind of been the bulwark of our society. EDD would be just a small example of those broader assumptions, whether you also have the institution of policing or the institution of tax structures or the justice system being, uh, from differing perspectives, being fair or unfair. Uh, so it's, it's a fundamental challenge when you those kind of bedrocks of what we can all come to our, I would almost say, I guess, our social contract of agreement, when even those things we disagree on, it's a real, real challenge for us to try to face.
1: Right. And and I think that's why typically people have had a higher level of confidence in local government because they're closer to it. They can have a di- uh, more direct influence over it. You know, uh, when I cast a vote at city council on a Monday evening, you know, if I'm grocery shopping the next day, somebody's going to come and let me have it if I haven't listened to them or yep. I demonstrated that I've listened to them. Um, you know, in the way that we deliberate. And so, um, you know, it's that quick and that close. And um, and so, you know, in that way, I find it rewarding um, because I like feedback and I like engaging with people and I like knowing where people are at. So I'm, I make sure that the service that I'm offering um, is of the moment and is checked into the things that people care
0: about. Yeah, 100%. I mean, being closer to the people, has a lot more direct responsibility. Um, I would also say just gov- city government in general is just on a smaller scale, so it's more manageable, so to speak, right? Like the, when your mistake is made, and they get made at the city level too, but when it's made, it's it's manageable, it's definable, it's not $30 billion mistake. Um, and, uh, uh, and I also would suggest that the kind of I mean, theoretically, these are nonpartisan positions you hold in city council. You don't run as a Republican or Democrat or any particular party. You just run with ideas. Now, those ideas may hew to one party or the other. But regardless, when you're sitting on the dais, the mission is to deliver for the community and not engage in some kind of Game and Cards uh, or Game of Thrones um, you know, battle royale. Uh, trying to outseat the other person and uh, essentially to the inefficiency or to the detriment of the institution itself right like at the end of the day you want your city manager to have the tools that he or she needs to deliver for the community and help make the place better because if it doesn't work you're gonna have to see those people you know at the grocery store the next day and that's going to be a real challenge
1: right exactly
0: um, let's turn real quick to uh, Contract Cities Association, that's another big part part of uh, your world, something that you've been involved with now for several years. What is the California Contract Cities Association?
1: California Contract Cities Association is a collection of local governments. It's a membership association of local governments. Uh, I think we're over 70 cities now. Um, And we came together originally as an organization to provide support for cities who were contracting uh, for sheriff and fire services in L.A. County. And the association since that time uh, has expanded uh, to include cities who contract for service for any, uh, any number of issues, uh, public works—you uh, name it—and it could be from LA County, it could be from a private provider, um, and you know, of course, most cities contract for some sort of service. And so, what we do is um, engage cities uh, in educational opportunities, uh, advocacy opportunities, especially uh, at the county and state level, um, and and networking opportunities to to learn best practices from uh, from cities throughout the region. And, um, and to allow people access uh, to the government that they're, they're looking to access, whether it's um, local government officials trying to access county and state, uh, whether it's um, our... Uh, uh, partners who uh, are in the private sector who are uh, providing services that they think could help enhance uh, the work and services that local governments uh, provide to their communities and sort of everything in between and i have found it to be a truly rewarding experience um, to engage with cities some of whom are like mine some of whom are uh, some of whom are not Um, uh, just, uh, to learn from how their cities have worked. You know, we're a a relatively young city, um, incorporated in 1984. So, um, some ways we've done things that have worked very well for our community but we can always learn from uh, folks around us and we can also share what we've done and hopefully for the benefit of others um, but you know it's it's a really uh, eclectic co- uh, collection of cities too I think and, um, and unlike any organization I've gotten involved with in local government which sometimes can be a little stodgy and a little stiff or very overly policy wonky you know uh, contract cities has um, been and very warm very family oriented and um really invited me and so many people in um, to benefit uh, you know that you get uh from contract cities what you give to it and the more you give uh, in my case the more I was able to get out of it uh for my own personal development but more importantly uh for the benefit of our city and um it's a really amazing association so I, I encourage people to join
0: So West Hollywood, uh, you all contract with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department for your policing services, right? Public safety?
1: Yes. Yes, we do. And And L.A. County Fire
0: as well. I was going to ask. So so L.A. County Fire. So um, just for context, for the average viewer out there, those are, I would assume, the two biggest contracts that you have on an annual basis uh, in terms of your budget, total budget, right?
1: Yeah, they're they are, and um, it's interesting though because you know many cities, um, if they have their own police department, could spend over fifty percent of their budget. Um, providing uh, law enforcement or uh, more traditional public safety services um, in their communities. Um, some communities spend um, quite a bit uh, on their contracts um, just you know to be able to provide for those uh, to provide those services for their communities. In our case in West Hollywood, we spend about twenty percent of our budget on our law enforcement contract, and um, that's pretty low for, yeah. for and yet we've been able to provide a really um, high quality level of service when it comes to public and community safety. Um, I think we've partnered, um, you know, law enforcement with uh, community services um, and kind of had that uh, 360 approach to making sure people are safe and cared for in community. And, um, and, and so it's, it's been really great. And, um, Gratefully, we and our local station in West Hollywood have had partners at our local station that are interested in that and interested in that kind of approach. Um so you know it's um, but yes, they are they are a very important part of uh, our budget and the work that we do in the city.
0: Well, and they seem to be, as you noted, kind of one of the founding elements of Contract City Association. And I just I think for the audience to understand, like contracting for those particular services in general, they're always a big part of the city budgets. West Hollywood, is, as you noted, an anomaly a bit in how small a portion it is, although it's still probably your biggest contract, even if it's the smallest portion relative to other cities. But there are other cities that routinely have 30%, 40% of their general fund budget is being spent on a contract with L.A. County Sheriff to provide policing services, a space that is uh, expensive to provide services in and getting more expensive every year as— Liability costs rise, and demands on uh, policing rise, and other kind of demands are placed upon the the sheriff's department in general. They turn around and provide those services back to the the public agencies that they serve. Um, I
1: mean, I think we just had our budget subcommittee meeting in West Hollywood, and we'll be, you know, looking at our budget coming up in June, of course. And, you know, we looked at the pie chart of the things that we ask law enforcement to do in our community, and not even 50% of it was um, crime suppression. And when you think of law enforcement, I think when the average person thinks of law enforcement, that's what they're thinking about. How do you stop crime from happening? And so when we're asking law enforcement to do all kinds of other stuff, um, that in many cases they're not trained to do. It's not what they were first hired to do in your community. You're you're not necessarily setting them up to succeed. And so I think you know we everybody's having conversations around what that balance is and, and um, how you provide a community safety services. And I think um, you know as local government officials we really need to think critically about that. You know who is the best deliverer of a service, and um, in in the case of our city in relationship to the sheriff's department, how do we make sure the contract that we have and the way it's implemented in our city actually looks like what we're intending? And, you know, because I think for most cities who contract for services, you know, we're using a relatively uh, base form contract um, upon which the service is then delivered. So, you know, if a bunch of city, you know, if over 40 cities have the same base contract, you can imagine not all of those cities have the same issues, the same concerns. So, uh-huh. you know, working with your local station to bring that contract to life, so to speak um, in the way that's best uh, and most important for your community to be served um, is, is important. Really thinking that through. And I think contract cities provides a space to talk about those real costs that you mentioned in terms of liability talks about, you know, gives us a space to talk about how do we, you know, perhaps modify that base contract to reflect, you know, the realities in 2021, as opposed to when it was originally created. And, you know, um, and also a, a place where we can talk about how do we think about even having that conversation in our city and making sure that we get the service that we signed up for. And um, and so I think um, it's, it's a really great place for us to have all those conversations, um, not only for an education uh, perspective, but also uh, to make a difference in, in how they're delivered and, you know, their strength in numbers. And um, I think the associate, uh, association really delivers that.
0: yeah. Definitely. Well, it's super complex issue, super complex contract, complex liability questions in there. And to your point, having a bunch of peer agencies who are involved in that space give you that size to be able to think and move uh, in a healthy and thoughtful way that you wouldn't otherwise get if you were just like one off West Hollywood trying to do your thing, and then you know you got Locking down Flint doing their thing and There's still some independence, obviously, for each agency and what they want to contract for, but the underlying services are, I think, really part of the mix that make it helpful for contract cities to be sharing ideas and united in how they approach some of this stuff.
1: Absolutely. One of the things that they did too, uh, you know, uh, when the contract was first created, cities didn't have a seat at the table in terms of um, any liability costs um, that were assigned to uh, contract cities, and so it was through California Contract Cities Association that there then was an effort um, uh, at the county level that then delivered uh, what is now called the uh, Claims Board and Oversight Committee, and uh, those two bodies, um, you know, hear the cases that um, are uh, liability cases in the contract cities, and we actually get a say now in um, how those funds are dispersed, you know, how decisions are made, and we have a sense of, you know, what what some of the trends might be and how those cases are going. And, you know, there was a time where that wasn't even happening, you know, when something happened in the city, the county just said, you got to pay for it, and, you know, we didn't really... Have a, have a way to look at those costs critically, to make sure that they were appropriately and correctly assigned to cities. So now we have that, and that happened because of contract cities.
0: Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a fair point. And I think one of the policy nuances here that's that's really interesting to explore, and I think, frankly, it'd be interesting to explore on a statewide basis, is these costs referred to as liability costs, right? So they're the cost overhead that comes with, I have a deputy, they come to my city, they do work, but there's also this additional layer of liability costs that that essentially does risk um, uh, the cost for risk services around them, or if that if they're involved in a car accident or they something bad happens on their while they're performing, the city in which they're doing that work is held liable uh, or is on the hook for that. And so then this is where this board comes in that you're discussing. Um, what i what struck me is there are some pretty big differences county by county on what that actual liability is. Um, and so it's a, and it's a significant cost. I mean, my gut tells me it's like 20 to 30% additional cost for policing services when you add that liability coverage on top of it, which is really just an astronomical number. It gets very expensive very quickly. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely and that and that was one of the priority issues in our, our term this last year and the association was managing those liability costs and you know how the contract you know what the contract calls for you know in our case we were looking at a potentially significant increase at a time where cities were literally being told to shut down businesses were shutting down and so we were cut off from not just new revenue streams but existing revenue streams so just to have a cost increase at that time um, You know, logistically didn't make sense. Not because uh, we didn't want to pay our, you know, pay our contracts, but we just have to figure out how to do it in the right way. And it was the association that really worked with the county and the department uh, to broker an agreement on on how those costs could be managed going forward. So, um, yeah, the all of that, um, all of those conversations are important in a good year, but especially in a challenging one. Having that on your side is really important.
0: Yeah, and and lastly, I'll just uh, at the risk of of uh, soapboxing it here, but I'm I'm just ideating as you're talking. You know, it's it's interesting to me because we hear a lot about mental health services now as a big area of policy focus and government service delivery. A lot of um, focus on the history of mental health services in California and where we've been, what what was eliminated, and kind of where the funding is these days. Uh, and that ties into crime. It ties into homelessness. It ties into a bunch of of issues i kind of you no know, it almost has me wondering like is there a does the contract model for sheriff services and fire services perhaps pretend a model that would be applicable for mental health services too where cities can be contracting with the county for you know a, a very effective county mental health services department to bring those resources in and, and operate uh, kind of like you can contract for the sheriff's service. And maybe I'm out of my league. Maybe that's already happening extensively. I've seen little elements of it here and there, but I'm just curious if you have a perspective on that, or maybe that's already happening from your perspective.
1: Yeah, we definitely need more of those services. And, and yes, that is the purview of the county and they should be providing those services uh, to cities. And um, I think it just, that needs to be built out and invested in much, much more. And to your point, uh, when I first became mayor in 2015, um, I did several nights of ride-alongs with our sheriff's department um, in the late hours uh, from 10 at night till four in the morning, because I wanted to see the nightlife the way they saw it. And, um, you know, so on one of those ride-alongs, a deputy happened to mention you know, our MET team, and I said, tell me about that. And so um, it's a mental evaluation team which uh, sends out a clinically trained social worker um, on a 5150 call um, to respond, you know, to be that first point of response. And this person can diagnose someone on the spot, get them into a 72-hour medical hold instead of citing them or putting them in jail, and uh, hopefully connect them with services and care that stabilizes them in the short term, but through that stabilization, um, you know, Uh, possibly makes them open to housing services, treatment, you know, further treatment, you know, a lot of things that uh, are available. And I was like, "Uh, uh, why don't we, you know, tell, okay, so that's, that sounds great. And they said, yeah, but the problem is, we only have a couple for the entire county. So if we call the MET team from wherever they are in the county, it could take four hours for them to respond. Mm -hmm. That's just not, That doesn't make sense. So, our city decided. um, You know, I led the effort uh, in the city to pursue a, a contract with the county to have a dedicated MET team in our station. Um, and uh, when we finally completed that contract, um, the county also assigned a second uh, MET team. So now we have two MET teams out of the West Hollywood station, one we pay for and one which is complemented by the county um, to help serve not just West Hollywood, but the region. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it's was it been a night and day difference in terms of, you know, how we can respond to things and the level of service that's uh, able to be provided. But I will tell you, it took us two years to get through the county bureaucracy um, (laughs) make that contract happen and you know for the privilege of giving the county our city resources um, to uh, you know to provide a service to our constituents that we think the county should be providing already and so you know there's there's some work to do there um, but uh, but you know it's it's certainly something we're trying to model so that way other cities uh, can do the same thing.
0: Well, it sounds like it's probably a great area for contract cities to explore more extensively in case other contract members of contract cities want to pursue similar type services. If uh, West Hollywood has blazed the trail on that, as, as it has blazed the trail in so many areas, it would be um, hopeful for the other organizations and contract cities to kind of see that unfold. And great use for the Contract Cities Association group. I want to... Um, start to put a bow on our conversation here just to respect your time. Uh, But I do want to turn to an important announcement. So you recently announced that you're running for County Supervisor, Uh, I believe. So it's in the third supervisorial seat, correct? Yes. And that is currently held by Supervisor Kuhl, correct? That's right. All right, so i got all my facts straight. Uh, Why are you running for County Supervisor? Why why leave the great confines of West Hollywood and go forth into the broader uh, LA County area?
1: I think my experience as a mayor during COVID um, really uh, brought to light how important it is, uh, not just for my city, but for the entire region to benefit from a well-functioning LA County. And in this moment where people are counting on the county to deliver services and support in a time that we really need it, um, you need somebody in there who's a fighter who's going to roll up their sleeves and do the hard work. And, you know, that's what I have done in my community and that's what I intend to do. And at, at In LA County, not only for my city, but for the region and and for the whole county too. And, you know, when you look at uh, the number one issue, when you talk to people who are running for office, or you just talk to people in community, the number one concern uh, in most places is homelessness. And it is, um, you know, it has reached uh, epidemic proportions. Um, It was a crisis before COVID. And now, as we're thinking about, you know, the end of that emergency order and people figuring out how they're going to deal with their back pay on their house or or their rent for their apartment, you know, we're looking at potentially even um, more uh, homelessness. So, um, you know, we have to have somebody who's going to come in and actually make an impact on that issue. Um, The county has close to a $30 billion annual budget more has to be done on homelessness. And uh, you know in West Hollywood, our approach uh, is multifaceted um, and you know, try really literally meets people where they at are uh, on the street. Um, and bring services, support, care, whatever it is they need. Um, and we have found uh, in in just recent years that we were able to get uh, you know, in some cases, eighty percent of those identified as homeless off the street and into housing services or both. And then the next year see a thirty percent increase on in the previous year's number. Um, just because of, you know, what's going on in the region. So we mm-hmm. have a, a model that's working. Um, certainly not everything that happens in West Hollywood is going to work everywhere. But I do have a strategy to approach how we, um, how we serve people experiencing homelessness differently. And uh, on day one, we can get to work on that. Um, I think we need to create a regional transportation network that serves people, uh, not just, um, you know, the the shortest route or the most direct point from A to B, but really where people want to go. And we have experience doing that with the Crenshaw Northern Extension, but I want to bring that experience to bear for a regional transportation network that actually serves the needs of the region. Um, and of course, as we're looking at COVID recovery, um, you know our businesses have been struggling. We need to get them back up and running, not just to get uh, those revenue streams in that you know communities are counting on, uh, and not just to get them uh, back up and running for their own businesses, but obviously so we get people back into jobs that provide them the livelihood that they're counting on to have a good quality of life uh, here in LA County. And so we can't just get people back to any old job; they need to be good jobs that they can take care of their families. And um, we know that uh, the circumstances uh, that existed before COVID-19 weren't great for everybody. So, you know, we're not just fixing what happened this past year, we're trying to fix a broken system. And, you know, it's it's a big job, but um, one I'm excited to do. And I think the conversations that are happening at the county around uh, what community safety looks like, um, how we address these, um, these very large problems, you know, it's work that I'm doing in West Hollywood. It's work. I'm, you know, excited about work that I feel called to do. And, um, this is the job that I want. So I am excited about it. It's not, you know, from, uh, I know that for other folks, it might be, you know, something that they're, they're looking to do if they have, you know, this kind of resume or this kind of life experience. But for me, it's, it's the work that
0: drives me. Right. Right. So where do, uh, so, so what I heard there was in some, uh, taking on homelessness economic development and uh, mass transit were kind of big threes that you're trying to take on. Is that a fair statement?
1: I think that's, I think that's true. Um, certainly there are a, a number of issues uh, that, the, that the county tackles. Um, when you have over 100,000 employees and a $30 billion budget, there's a lot going on there. But I think um, those topics are, are ones that I find most people are talking about um, mm-hmm. and are uh, top of mind in short order, um, in, uh, obviously in addition to community safety.
0: Well, uh, Mayor Horvath, if you can solve any one of those, bravo, <laughs> bravo, mission accomplished.
1: Yeah, you know what, <laughs> all so big ones. I'll get on it. Well, <laughs> you,
0: you know, but if you have, somebody's got to try, right? You got to try. Yeah. They're, they're worthwhile pursuits to get fixed and get right. So, um, and where can people learn more about your campaign?
1: LindsayHorvath.com, lindseyhorvat
0: hcom all right, and we will uh, post that. You or I will ask my engineer in the background to magically make that appear on the screen as well to make it easy for people to find. Uh, and we'll link it in the YouTube video for this podcast as well.
1: Uh, I want
0: to thank, um, I'm sorry.
1: Uh, serving California Contract Cities Association and helping us stay connected and getting our message out there. And so, you know, for folks who are following your work, I just want to say from firsthand experience that, you know, we, our association benefited from your work. I know many communities in our in, in our association uh, work with you directly and they've benefited from your work. So um, I'm glad to know that people are listening to you and, and hopefully are checking into how they can partner with you in that in the work that they're doing because you really deliver.
0: Well, thank you. Very kind of you to say that. I appreciate it. It's We've had a great experience uh, in the 11 years, 12 years that we've been really focused in local government world contract cities was kind of one of my first pit stops to be involved with. And I've uh grew up in that organization shows so to speak in local government and just as you described it as a warm family-oriented environment very friendly that's been my experience through and through with everybody i've had the opportunity to work with all the presidents certainly including yourself as president of contract City. so i appreciate your um, commitment to service and your work product and effort that you've done in west hollywood and uh, excited to see that you're running for county supervisor and look forward to seeing you out there in the campaign make it in happen it's exciting times for you
1: Thank you very much. I'm I'm really excited about it, and uh, I'll definitely see you out there.
0: <laughs> and that's today's report. My thanks to Lindsay for joining us, and from the whole Public CEO team, and myself, writer Todd Smith, thank you for your time. We hope you learned something new and inspiring that'll help you in your public service. Remember, Public CEO has a daily newsletter that is free to those who sign up at publicceo.com. If you have feedback, questions, or guest suggestions for Public CEO Report, please email alex at publicceo.com.